everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time toy, if this is your first time <laughs> joining us, this is your first time joining us, thanks for being here. Uh, this is our little effort at what you could call virtual hospitality, where we welcome you into our conversations happening right now in our home as we feed, clothe, educate, struggle, enjoy, and try to disciple our four kids. And also as we're just trying to be thinking pilgrims in a really kind of hard world or a world where people are weird and hard. Common, we say that all the time. So what you'll hear for the next hour or so is I have no idea. But you have the fortune of going down and looking in the show notes where I've got a time-stamped roadmap of everything we've talked about on the show so you can scan through. It's also where I'll put any pertinent or relevant links of things that come up in the show. So that said, um, hi. Hi. Uh, You guys, it's 9.30 p.m., another late-night recording session for us because life just keeps getting away from us during the day. We have very long to-do lists, and uh, and so we finally get our kids to bed way later than I would like, and here we are, possibly not as coherent as we would be in a middle-of-the-day recording session, but uh, it is what it is. That might add to the amusement of the show, though. Sometimes. Sometimes it does. You had somebody over at 9.30 last night. I did. So it is apparently fun. not out of character for us to invite people into, <laughs> into hospitality yeah. at 9.30 I do better. I've discovered that I tend to do better um, as I, I, I can go, I can be either a morning person or a, or a, a late night, a night person. person, but not but both. I, not both, but I tend to, I think I tend to prefer late nights more. In feel, interacting with people. Yeah, I tend to well, feel if, a little more creative at night. Uh, I there's something about like the the comfort of darkness that, or especially conversations over a campfire that really uh, feel conducive to more vulnerability than maybe a six thirty a.m. coffee. With, yeah. With somebody yeah. Else. I'm just not. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I've got my Bible study tomorrow, which starts at seven. But and so that's really enjoyable. But I would just, I would much rather hang out and like have those convos at night around yeah. the fire. It's too dark or... for you to consult your book, though. So true. We couldn't do it around a campfire. So, oh, see, this is the problem with nine thirty. I just lost my train of thought. Well, would you? Do you prefer? Are you? Um, is your preference mornings or nights? Not what you're currently living, but what you're, if you had your choice. I, I feel like I, if I had my choice at this season of my life, I would prefer to be easing myself more, shifting myself more into being a morning person. Not super early morning, but I, the last couple mornings, our kids have had crazy late nights. You guys, we took our kids in what was, we we took our kids to a concert in Butte, Montana this weekend. It's one of my and the kids' favorite bands currently. It's called Top House. They were fantastic performers. We were camping at Fairmont Hot Springs, which is about 20 minutes from Butte, uh, for a ski patrol training that JR had. And I saw on their Instagram that they were going to be in Butte, and I said, JR, we should totally do this 
And he hopped on and bought tickets, knowing that it would delight me to my core to see them live. And then we swam all day on Saturday, and the kids were cranky and miserable and exhausted at about 6 o'clock p.m. And it was like, now we're going to drive half an hour. And then we're going to go to a concert that starts at 8. And then it turned out there was an opening act. So the main line, <laughs> main, the headliners didn't even go on until 8.45. And our, it was, uh, if we had not already bought tickets, as we were getting in the van to drive over to Butte, I would have just been like, forget it. These kids are going to be miserable. They're going to be miserable all night. They're going to be miserable tomorrow because they're going to be sleep deprived. They were delightful. There were very, very few moments. There were a few moments, let's be real, but way fewer than I realistically expected of fighting, nitpicking, freaking out, melting down because they were overtired. And the kids just absolutely loved the concert. They put on a phenomenal show and the kids absolutely loved it. But we have been paying for it in terms of, so we have... You know, we made this big deal a couple episodes ago about being a running family now. We're a running family. We get up and run. We have not consistently run since we got back from our camping trip in the Flathead over Labor Day weekend because I sprained. I thought I broke my big toe. I caught it on the cuff of my jeans and sprained it so badly I could barely walk for several days, let alone run. And then I was walking wonky, so then my other legs started hurting. So it took me over a week to be able to walk normally. So I wasn't getting up running then. And then, I can't remember, something else happened, and we didn't run the next week. And then we took our trip, and I have actually, I feel better, going back to the morning. I feel more alive and more clarity in my head for the whole day if I get up and do that morning run with the morning sun in my eyes, just getting my body moving, forcing myself to get up. So I've gotten up and gone by myself for the last two days and I go check on the kids whom I usually think they're still sleeping and they're lying in their beds reading when or I wake up in the in morning. Bed. Tito was just lying in bed the other morning. He was just like laying there. The last two mornings when I have gotten up to run, he, everybody except Elizabeth, has been out cold. Like, not even stirring. Elise is lying there with her blanket over her face. <laughs> I don't know how people sleep like that. Titus is just zonked out. And they sleep, this is one of the benefits of homeschooling, they sleep until after 8, all of them. Some They were stirring when I got back at 8 o'clock this morning. But, uh, anyway, all that to say, I feel like... I do better during the day, and as a mom, if I'm going to bed in a timely manner. So the last two nights I've gone to bed between 10 and 10.30, but closer to 10. Which... I'm not getting to bed before midnight most nights right now. So getting up at 7.30 to go running is like a new form of hell. Yes. And also, if I go to bed at 10, sure. But Also, oh, the week, the reason we, I, we didn't run the week before we went to Fairmont is... I was on a canning and preserving kick, trying to pound out the last of all the stuff that I've been working on, which I still have not pounded out. But I put in, there were several days where I was actively canning and whatnot until midnight, 
pulling stuff out of the canner after midnight. So getting up and doing that was not, it was just me getting up and barely getting school going by nine o'clock. And so your preference would be transitioning to being more of a morning person. Yes. If I can How early is early? <laughs> like you not, said, not super not early? Not that early. 6.45, 7. Okay. So maybe instead of running at 7.30, which is what we were doing all summer, run at 7.15. So I'm back. My goal during the school year is always to have the kids eating breakfast at 8 and start school at 9. That's always my goal. And so if I... Today, I have run twice in three weeks. And by run, I mean I jog very slowly with intermittent, very frequent walking breaks. But I I would like to not be walking in the door at 8, but be have breakfast ready at 8, which means that I would need to be out 7 or 7.15. I don't like to roll out of bed till at least 8. I'm kind of terrible like that, but... Uh, I corrupted you. You used to be an early riser before we got married. It's true. I was a very committed early riser. But then it didn't help that, you know, during COVID, oh, COVID was, <laughs> the year of COVID, I was up, I was up late every night during COVID for the entire year. I was down in the studio working on music or working on something. Um, and then I started doing music outside where I'm up late at night. You know, I don't get done with work i don't get home till sometimes one or two in the morning and so that kind of changed shifted things a little bit but i really enjoy like when the kids go down i really love uh when i can coming down to the studio and getting like an hour or two of like just like maybe it's just weird because it's nighttime and there's no other distractions everybody's gone to bed Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden i can like focus and i can have when we're reading that um atomic atomic habits book about you know deep work you know, that wasn't Atomic Habits. That was the oh, that was uh, model podcast. model health show. Yeah, um, but you know those those moments I can get my my really deep work done, and that's like, you know, I can get two hours. I can get a lot done of it just two uninterrupted two hours, mm-hmm. without during the day you get this phone call or that phone call. Kids need this, things need that. It's at least creatively for me when I it's really hard to get in. It takes enough to get into the zone, and once you're in the zone, I can stay there all day. Or all as night. As you know, or all night. But if you get if you get that broken up throughout the day, it's much harder to get anything done creatively. So, yeah. anyway. But. So, speaking of resting, I was musing today. So, Elise, jumping back a little bit, Elise has been, for school, listening to Laura Ingalls Wilder, Farmer Boy. And as though I'm not... Because I've had... A second or third grader, pretty much solid for, what's that, a seventh grade, five years now. I'm very, very steeped in thinking about Laura Ingalls Wilder because I think we've been reading something of hers at least once a year, if not more, for five years now. But I was thinking about, as I was upstairs, you guys, so, train of thought, pause, train of thought. Since you guys have... Since we got back from Flathead, you take the kids to judo on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and those are my preserving in the kitchen days. It also helps that I don't sit down for a little 
rest time on Instagram as soon as you guys leave and zone out and not actually feel restored and not get anything done. So I literally tidy up dinner and then start chopping up zucchini or making pickles or making applesauce or making apple slices, whatever it is that I'm preserving at the moment. And you guys walked out the door tonight at quarter to five and I did, uh, I did probably about a gallon worth of cherry tomatoes that I sliced for dehydrating and then I'll preserve them in oil. I made sauerkraut, which involves shredding cabbage and then mashing it with salt and letting some juices steep out and then packing it into a jar. And then I had to look up the instructions about how to do it besides actually doing it because I've never done it before. Uh, What else did I do? Oh, I dehydrated the ingredients for a pureed squash curry that I made a couple of months ago and with fresh ingredients. And I thought, you know, I can... The main ingredients are curry powder, zucchini, carrots, and onions. I can use dehydrated onion and dehydrate zucchini and carrot, and then it also calls for some tomato paste. So I dehydrated a couple of Roma tomatoes. So I dehydrated it all, and then tonight I, in batches, powdered it in the food processor and then sealed it up in airtight mason jars Anyway, so I did all this stuff while you guys were gone. I basically did not sit down until I was noticeably tired. And then I sat down and sliced cherry tomatoes at the counter sitting on a stool. And I was thinking about how you, I think you had said the last time we did a podcast that we need to plan better our August and September around harvesting If we're Mm -hmm. going to be more as aggressive as we were this year in terms of gardening and things like that. And I was just thinking about the, the era of the Ingalls family and when they were homesteading and how disciplined they had to be to take their Sabbath rest during the harvest season and they were strict Sabbatarians, right? They did not do anything. There's a story that Pa tells his kids. Maybe I can't remember which book it's in. But I think it was a story about his dad. So this was a long time ago. So Laura's grandfather was one of three boys. And they built this amazing sled. And they literally finished it right as the sun was going down and they were getting called to dinner on Saturday night and it was it was perfect snow outside and they couldn't sled on Sunday <laughs> because that did not fit the cultural context that they were in the interpretation of what it meant to rest on the Sabbath and so the I'll try to find this passage for you sometime, somehow. But the basically, they they maybe didn't even go to church in the morning because it was hard to get to, but they did a home worship service, and then they had lunch, and then the three boys were required to sit on a bench against the wall all afternoon studying their catechism. And Dad, sitting in his chair across from them, falls asleep. And so the boys are looking at the snow outside, thinking about their sled, and they sneak outside. They're like, we're just going to do one 
quick sled down just to see how this new sled that we've been working on works. So they sneak out, they get the sled out of the shed, they climb up to the top of the hill, their house is in the middle of this hill, all three boys get on the sled, they start shooting down the hill, it's working perfectly, and then the family pig steps in front of their path and gets scooped up on the sled with them and they go screaming past the house with the pig screaming and if you guys have heard pigs pigs have the decibel level at which a pig is able to squeal is astounding so they go screaming past the house metaphorically and literally and just as they go past they see dad's face in the window and they're they know they're in for it, so they get back. They put the sled in the in the shed. They just go sit back down with their catechisms on the bench, and I think they all got beaten the next day. Their dad didn't even say anything to him. He was probably, as I think about it now from the perspective of a parent, he was probably trying not to howl with laughter on the inside and had to gather himself <coughs> to discipline him for breaking the Sabbath. But anyway, all of that to say, I just... I. Obviously, I don't share that interpretation of the Sabbath, but the the faith, in, at least in now as I'm thinking about me, the faith that it takes to say, I'm thankful for the bounty that we have from our garden. I want to be generous as I can with it, and I also want to trust God with ongoing provision as I seek to preserve it. And, you know, obviously we in current modern day America, and I assume that describes almost all of you, if you don't grow a huge garden and get everything put up as you need to for the next 10 months until your garden is producing again, you will still have access to in nearly limitless variety and quantity of fresh fruits and vegetables, not to mention frozen and canned fruits and vegetables that would have absolutely blown the minds of uh, not even just the settlers in the late 1800s, of anybody in the 1800s to imagine that you could have fresh fruit in the Northern Hemisphere you know, at any time, you know, raspberries and pomegranates and, uh, you know, all these things. I was actually thinking about that. I texted Uncle Vernon the other day because I had made some muffins with the camut that you'd gotten on our grain run. I forgot Maui was there. Start me. <laughs> our dog is sleeping at my feet. Uh, anyway, and, so, and he, he responded back that they were finishing their stone fruit harvest for the year and then they were going to move into, now I can't remember... Of what what they were moving into it started with a P, uh, you know, and I was I was just laughing because California is a solid two day drive from where we are, where Uncle Vernon lives in California, and and it's just like a world away in terms of what we're able to grow and what he's able to grow. Just uh, you know, they say persimmons. Pomegranates and persimmons. Sorry, I just looked up his text. But anyway, just thinking, when we were in Kalispell, we had a, a few discussions with Pete and Kim about Sabbath rest and different interpretations of what resting on the Lord's Day entails 
and we have a pretty loose but I think uh, beneficial and positive view of the Sabbath which is that uh, it was made for man not man for the Sabbath and the heart of the Lord's Day is worship uh, rest which is not the same as relaxation and relationship and it gets a little tricky when you're having people over for dinner and it turns into a huge burden and a huge ton of work. You know, you have to set your priorities and maybe think carefully about streamlining things, which I've had to do when we have people over on Sundays. But uh, I, I suspect that our listeners all have a very wide range of how they think about and how they practice Sabbath or the Lord's Day. It wasn't even yeah. our... Well, it was just interesting because I just looked up um, the Westminster Larger Catechism. I find it tends to be... Um, it has more detail and more uh, expository nuance than the Shorter Catechism on the Sabbath. Because what, what happens is um, a lot of pastors in, for instance, the PCA that we were a part of for a long time, one of the things when they get ordained, they're like, do you take exception to any... You have to adhere to the Westminster Catechism. Standards. Westminster Standards. And, you know, do you have any exceptions? And a lot of them will take exception with um, the Fourth Commandment, or the Third Commandment, which is um, the Sabbath. And I was just looking over they'll it. They'll take exception to the Confessions Yeah, they'll be like, well, I take... Yeah, I take exception to that. Like, I'll do... I'm going to... I'll go fishing on Sunday or oh, I'll do the dishes on, on the Sabbath. Recreation. Yeah. So, I mean, what it says, what are the sins forbidden? Um, what is required first is, is really good. What is required of the third commandment? The third commandment requires that the name of God, his titles, attributes, ordinances, the word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, his works, and whatsoever else there is whereby he makes himself known, be holy and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing, by a holy profession and answerable conversation to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others. Now, that really encompasses church. I mean, a lot of that is is our worship of God on Sunday. What sins are forbidden in the third? Um, wait, am I third or fourth? Yeah. It should be the oh, fourth. Oh no, sorry. I'm duh. Fourth. I was like, wait a minute, this that doesn't sound that right. That's not what I was that like, absolutely pertains to worshiping God. It does. Isn't that? It does. <laughs> totally does. Okay, sorry. Um That's profaning the Lord's name, right? Yeah. Yeah. The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Um and he goes on and then the scripture goes on to say, Six days thou shalt labor and do thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and in it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, the man servant maid servant, etc. 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 What is required in the fourth commandment? It requires that all men, uh, requireth of all men the sanctifying or keeping holy to God such set times as he hath appointed in his word, expressly one whole day in seven, which was the seventh from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, and the first day of the week ever since, and so to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath in the New Testament called the Lord's Day. What is the Sabbath... Uh, or the Lord's Day to be sanctified. How is it to be sanctified? This is where it gets interesting in the Westminster Standard. The Sabbath or Lord's Day is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day. 
not only from such works are as at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on the other days lawful. So again, this is where the recreation exception comes in. And making it our delight to spend the whole time, except so much of it as to be taken up in works of necessity and mercy, in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts with such foresight, diligence, and moderation to dispose, and seasonably to dispatch our worldly business, that we may be the more free and fit for the duties of the day. Uh, why is the Sabbath more... And then, again, this is where I like about the larger catechism, because it goes on with additional questions. Why is the charge of keeping the Sabbath more specifically directed to governors of families and other superiors? Um, that's a, a, a responsibilities uh, question. Um, we'll move on to the sins forbidden. The sins forbidden in the fourth commandment are... All omissions of the duties required, all careless, negligent, and unprofitable performing of them, and being weary. I feel weary like you should it. include this link so people mm-hmm. can read this for themselves. I will, yeah. Um, and being with them, all profaning the day in idleness, so no idleness. Um, and, Does that mean the screen doing, time we give our kids so they'll leave us alone is yeah. violating the confession? Yeah, and doing that which in itself is sinful. Obviously, you don't want to do sinful things all the time, but you know, it's talking about specific things in this context that become sinful. And by all needless works, words, and thoughts about our worldly employments and recreations. Um, I, it's, and then, you know, final question, which is really good. Um, well, not a final question, but what are the reasons annexed to the fourth commandment the, the more to enforce it? What are the reasons to enforce this? Why is this important? Um, I, I've become more and more of a Sabbatarian as I've gotten older. Um, I do... It, I, is that out of theological conviction or is that out of the fact that you love to take a nap after lunch? That's out of more of a theological conviction, I think. Um, I, I spend, I heard this preacher say this once, you spend six days kind of, and this is his words, you spend six days building your own worldly little kingdom, doing your own worldly little things. And obviously, we're doing all to the glory of God, but this was just his way of phrasing it. And you, one day, you, just, you need one day, God's asking you one day to focus on his kingdom. You know, um, and that resonated with me to the point where, um, you know, there's the whole, like, God provides everything we need when we need it. So if six days isn't enough to get it done, um, then we're not really trusting him for that seventh. That's that's the trick, is it's a, it is like not collecting the manna on Sunday. Yeah. He says collect double on Saturday because there will be none. But it will start again on Monday. And you just, it is that daily bread thing. And Sunday is that extra stretch of your faith, it, at least in more daily bread type cultures. Yeah. In our culture, we don't have this if I rest, I'm really trusting God for my provision. I'm really trusting God that the harvest is not going to get hailed on or rained on or locusts come or whatever else could go wrong when I'm resting. At the same time, I will say the cultural in the culture in which most uh, 
Western Christian, Judeo-Christian environments have existed, which is, again, what most of us have known for our, our whole lives, is up until very recently in American history, anyway, has helped to enforce this. So if the if the Ingalls family was out harvesting on Sunday, they probably would have had a pastoral visit. They probably would have had yeah. neighbors talking to them, looking down on them. They would have lost their standing in the community because this was expected and enforced. And, you know, you yeah. there were so many things that were not open on Sundays. And so violating the fourth commandment, so to speak, from at least what they considered to be violating it, you know, making somebody else work because you were going out to eat at a restaurant, um, which is is an interesting, the, you know, theoretical, uh, not really a theoretical. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Discussion. Well, I had a, I had a, my seminary roommate grew up in Joel Beakey's church, which is a, the denomination is the Heritage Netherlands Reforms. Netherlands Reformed denomination. Very, very small. Joel Beakey, though, if you were to search his name at westminsterbooks.com, is a very prolific, very well thought of author. Uh, she, Her family would not go out to eat on Sundays. And we were roommates for th- two years. She did a two-year degree. And in those two years, probably the last semester we were roommates, she was like... I think I could go like order pizza on on a Sunday now, which again for her was a cultural shift mm-hmm. because she had gone from being in a culture, at least her church culture and all of her, you know, family friends all practiced this particular understanding of the Sabbath and then she was in another heavily Christian culture that interpreted quote unquote making somebody work on the sabbath differently because if they're going to be working anyway you know is it wrong yeah, to I, I mean, patronize if you, them if you the biblical the historical historical biblically understood exercise ex, you know uh exposition of the passage the understanding of the passage throughout history the biblical understanding is that this is a day set aside for you to worship God all day, not just a church. Like that's your focus. And it it's so when you go I, out I actually when you, would argue I mean Well when you go yes. out and pursue when you go out and say, well I'm gonna go float the river today or I'm gonna go um I'm gonna come down here and play some music today or I'm gonna go mountain bike. You know, you're pursuing a recreation that is deliberately kind of self centric. You know, it's not like I. So I mean, if I was super strict, I'd be like, I wouldn't do that either. I don't necessarily know that it's. it's but you have to fill that time. You have to fill that time with. Video games. No, like, you have you to fill that you time with go something. Mountain biking on a Sunday. I'm saying if I wanted, if I was like, gonna be super strict about it, yeah, I wouldn't go mountain biking on Sunday. I think that's silly. There's, I well, okay, fine. But there's a, you know, if, if the, you set aside this well, day for the Lord. Well, that's two reasons I couldn't get ordained in the PCA. Yeah. I'm a woman and I'm <laughs> No, they take it. You can get ordained and take exceptions. That's true. It's weird. It's you like, can take bigger exceptions. I know, take, no, 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 I know this. You don't have to go into yeah, this. So, um, but no, I mean, I, you know, I really struggle. I mean, where's, so some of this kind of, kind of comes down to like, where's the line? You know, if you have, um, like, I won't, I don't. 
I won't miss church. I will do everything I can to not miss church on a Sunday. Um, and that's kind of there. What I, I think selfishly, I, I say a lot of times, I don't like to work on Sundays, um, you know, because it's just, I work six other days of the week and it's like one day that I can you know it's like but functionally I will tell you functionally yeah but you're using it as an excuse I know that's what I'm saying that's what I said you go take a nap and then I deal with the kids fighting and then I make dinner and then I clean up dinner oh it's a fine line like you can't parent on I mean that'd be like a work of necessity right but it's used I mean driving home from a trip on Saturday it's the opposite of the Pharisees who are like you can't walk more than 30 steps like you're using you know they're using the Sabbath as a means of control. <clears throat> Using the Sabbath as a cop out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I do like I some of that. Some of my choices are just selfish self interest. Like, okay, here's a day I can actually just do nothing. I used to do nothing today. This is great, you know. But that's not. That's also not what I'm supposed to do. That's idleness. And you just talked about it being, you know, not mm-hmm. to fill with idle. Like that's idle time. So. In a sense, but, Sunday has to be like structured with something almost in our context. And but then, then you've got people doing like soccer tournaments. You know, they'll skip church to go to a soccer the tournament. Because they have liberty to do that. Yeah, okay. But I, <laughs> I completely, that's a bridge too far for me. I, I have problems with that. I think that if you're missing church occasionally for recreation or things like that, I don't have a problem with that. But if it's a consistent consistent thing you're a moderate like what's the condition of your heart what's going on behind this right now yeah because i think that there's there's a self-righteousness that comes from well i'm not doing that on a sunday i would never do that and then you're just turning into a pharisee yeah you know so when you're you know you're concerned for other people's hearts and if they're consistently missing gathering with the saints in a way that the Lord has, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, said don't forsake the meeting of the saints. That means be in church regularly. But if you are not in church occasionally because of X, Y, or Z, I don't think that, A, uh, you're committing the unforgivable sin, and B you need to be more concerned about where your own heart is and less concerned about judging other people for what they're doing on the Lord's day. Well, at the same time, understanding, I mean, again, that's a fine line for discussing with our kids. You know, why do we choose to do ski team, for example, on Saturday when it's easier to get them enrolled in the classes on Sunday? Well, that's because for 10 weeks straight, we would be missing church on Sunday, and that's not acceptable for us as a family. We That's not where our value structure lies. So then how do you communicate that to your kids without having them be judgy about every kid whose parents enroll them yeah. in Sunday ski class? You know? I also think, it's for me, uh, it's a little bit of a reminder of how things can take over and become idols. You know, like Literally spend, everything can become an idol. I know. So, you know, you spend all week long doing something and here, and like, I'll be compelled to go work on something or do something. It's a reminder that like, no, like it's not, it doesn't need to be that important that I have to do it on a Sunday. Yes. Yeah. That goes back to. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of that comes down to me too. It's like, I don't have to get that done today. Like, I don't have to work on this today. I've got a whole day where I can work on, do stuff, but I don't 
have to. So I think some of it for me is like deliberately not doing it to keep it in its place, if that makes sense. Yeah. At the same time, I can't remember. I just saw this recently in my Instagram binge over the weekend when I allowed myself to be on Instagram. I feel like I saw maybe it was a homemaking mom homeschooling account where she was like, I let the dishes pile up on Sunday because that's my Sabbath from doing housework I just tackle it all on Monday and I was like oh you're not a homeschooling mom (laughs) you're a homemaker but you don't have to start school at 9 a.m. on Monday morning with a dirty kitchen I have to clean the kitchen on Sunday night because I can't start my week with an absolute disaster well you just don't have enough faith in God if you let the dishes pile up, some he will some magic will happen. You'll be you'll, somehow it'll, it'll get clean by nine o'clock. You'll just you'll have it That's, down. Like God will give you only, that grace. Only if I have a husband who magically becomes an early riser and gets up and does it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and we've already discussed that's not happening. Oh, that's funny. So this morning, I I wanted to share this with people. I didn't bring this book down, but it kind of cracked me up. In a morbid, sad sort of way, our hymn for the next two weeks of school is Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, which kind of cracked me up because it's just such a, I don't know, I think of it as like a 1980s Baptist church that has worship services not only on Sunday morning, but also on Sunday evening and Wednesday evening sort of. Uh, yeah. feet, you know, somebody's plinking away on the piano yeah. and everybody's stand singing. Up, stand, stand up for Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. So the story oh, behind that hymn is it, and I, this, okay, it's, it was written in like 1858 and I can't remember the name of this guy who's, uh, he, his father was a preacher, and then he ended up preaching in the same pulpit. I think it was in Philadelphia. And he started preaching against slavery, and that got him kicked out of his church. So he and a small band of people started meeting, and he was their preacher. And they were very, very enthusiastic about evangelism. And he started preaching at the YMCA and did this men's weekend, and 5,000 men showed up. And I can't even imagine somebody having the voice to be able to preach without amplification to 5,000 people, but there have been other famed historical preachers besides Jesus preaching, you know, along the Sea of Galilee, which is actually it's, a natural it's amphitheater. Actually, you know, the, the, the ability for preachers to preach to 5,000 people without a public address system is actually a part of speaking in tongues. No, it's not. I no, I can't remember who there was one guy during the the Great Awakening. Maybe it is. I can't remember who it is. Fa- uh, now I have to Google it quickly. The famous Puritan preacher with loud voice. Whitfield. George Whitfield. Ah. So he was known for being able to he was literally considered the most powerful voice in America during the Great Awakening because he had such, Literal, not such a loud, clear voice that he could be heard among thousands of people. So anyway, this guy whose name I can't remember, his last name starts with a D, he has 5,000 men to preach to, and he, um, 
he says to them, the weight of this responsibility of preaching to all of you is so great on my heart that I would rather have my right arm be amputated at my shoulder than I fail to faithfully preach the gospel to you all in this moment. He preaches hundreds, if not a thousand men are purportedly, reportedly come to the Lord. Like a week later, this guy's visiting a farm and he gets his sleeve caught in a thresher and it rips his right arm off at the shoulder. No! And he bleeds to death. No! From this. I, I kid you not. I'm reading this aloud to the kids no. this morning. And that's pretty much all of their reaction that's too. That's morbid. It's crazy, right? So, so he didn't faithfully preach the word. Well, <laughs> I mean. Because he got his I, arm ripped off. No, here's the, here's the really interesting part though. His final, his last words were... To I whomever he, you know, is watching him bleed out, stand up for Jesus. And he he might have even said, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And the man who preached his funeral, I believe, now I'm getting a little bit fuzzy on the details. Anyway, some preacher took those words, his final words, and turned them into a poem that is stand up for stand up for Jesus and a hymnal publisher found music to go with it and so in his death he has preached quote unquote preached to countless more than the 5000 he preached to I, in that moment I have no almost zero taste for mid to late 1800s musical stylings. The worship music from that era, the hymnody, lyrically it's great. Musically it's awful. It's plinky, it's plucky, it's bouncy, it's terrible. Um, I but feel do you I have feel the no same way empathy for this poor man who's I feel right the, arm but I feel the same up? way about like uh, early late 80s early well no actually not ladies early 90s you know Christian music. Not only was it musically blah, but lyrically it was, you know, it was no bueno. Like the early stuff, you know, things got, you know, when you're doing the same, the Keith, the Keith Green era, I mean, that was even the 70s. Uh, catch this next, so I'm looking at the lyrics for Stand Up for Stand Up for Jesus. The second verse says, or is this, yeah, second verse, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, Stand in His Strength Alone, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. <laughs> really? Come on. Barney Robertson, George Duffield, or whoever wow. wrote it. Like, did you have to say the arm of flesh will fail you? Man, those guys were brutal. Yeah. I mean, it's actually... I I looked up a version on YouTube for the kids to listen to. And it was being sung by Stuart Townend, you know, who's co-written mm. all sorts of hymns with the Gettys and stuff. And he still used, it wasn't plinky, but it was the same tune as is traditional. It'd be interesting to learn if anybody's ever tried to recast that in another... Some people can recast them well, some can't. Yeah, I know. I know. You're getting really critical here late at night and complainy. But... 
I'm I, always I, critical and complaining. What are you talking about? That's it doesn't have anything to do with being but like But listen night. to the, the, the last, the last uh, verse is great. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. Those who vanquish, to those who vanquish evil, a crown of life shall be. They with the king of glory shall reign eternally. Uh, I mean, so it moves past your arm being torn off <laughs> to reigning eternally with the king of glory. And his arm was actually torn off. And, and he said he'd rather have his arm taken off. Isn't that wild? Fail to faithfully I, preach I the actually, gospel. it seems so ironic. I feel like I need to fact check our book that is just a classic I can't remember the name of the book now but it's a classic hymn stories book that like every homeschooling mom owns but that's crazy yeah anyway uh, so with that you guys uh, I don't have any interesting recipes for the week I don't have any interesting further commentary just uh, you know the Lord will use you as he will to accomplish his will. You might get your arm ripped off in the process and bleed to death and uh, die. Or worse. I mean, wow. was it Titus? Oh, oh, this is, okay, two more things. So my parents just did a tour of Scotland and England with Ligonier Ministries. So uh, there, this was like one of my mom's kind of bucket list things, going to Scotland with Sinclair Ferguson. And then there were two, there was a British guy who did some lecturing for them in London, they toured the Westminster Abbey, and they both thought it was super hilarious and super ironic that Stephen Hawking, famous atheist, is buried in Westminster Abbey alongside, I can't remember, I think C.S. Lewis is buried in Westminster Abbey. All, you know, you were, I was singing this while you were type reading the Westminster Confession, because that's where this great document of historic Christianity mm-hmm. was crafted. And, uh, and here, this atheist is buried in a church... And, and it's because... That's funny. Who, I wonder who, like, was behind that. Well, here's the thing is there's Why? a there's a scientist's corner of Westminster Abbey for burials. Remember they like have these giant stones and they they lift them up and then they put their gravestone in the mm-hmm. floor, they bury them in yeah. the floor. Uh, so there's a scientist's corner and he's just a few feet away from Isaac Newton, who was it was a believer, but you know, another famous scientist, influential and Maybe, I don't know, maybe Stephen Hawking was knighted or something. I don't know where the decision comes from. But, uh... uh, Just God's irony. Kind of like getting your arm ripped off. Well, here's what's really interesting. When you Google Stephen Hawking burial Westminster Abbey, if you're using, you know, if your algorithm is the same as mine, your first highlighted result will be Hawking was interred in the Abbey's scientist's corner beneath a stone inscribed, Here lies what was mortal of Stephen Hawking, which is an English translation of the Latin words on the nearby grave of Newton, the 17th century scientist who discovered the laws of gravity. So he literally has an English translation of the same gravestone inscription as Isaac Newton, which was clearly deliberate. But then what's ironic is here lies what was mortal of him, which here lies what 
was mortal of all of us, but, you know, there's, there's a directional difference for what was immortal about you if he, in fact, died in a way that was consistent with how he professed, what he professed in life. Uh, just really, it's super ironic. Um, and I think in some ways cheapens the specialness of, just goes to the, the secularization of things like Westminster Abbey. Yes. Um, also, speaking of people dying, my mom brought back from that trip a biography of William Wallace that Titus has been reading. And so Titus is nearly a teenager. He's two months, let's see, October, November, two and a half months from being a teenager. And he, he I don't know, were we like... <laughs> we were in the kitchen. Was it in the... Was we were it, in the kitchen and he just, out of nowhere, we're, we're just uh, doing something in the kitchen that... He just starts describing to me how they killed William Wallace. He's like, Mom, I know how William Wallace died. <laughs> okay. Just, and, I mean, and it was He this starts listing... On every... and on and on about how they <laughs> tore out his entrails while he was still alive, and then they burned them in front of him while he was still alive, and then they strung him between horses and dragged him through the street, and then they did this to him, and then they did this to him, and I was like, you can stop. Like... <laughs> This was, first of all, the the movie came out long enough ago that I can't remember most of it, besides just freedom. Second of all, I don't think they showed that in the movie. They didn't. Like that. They didn't show it like that. They had him laying on his back, and you saw the camera was at an angle facing his head um, from just below, and you could see the guy working. Oh, they did the, show some of no, that. No, you could see him. They, you didn't see But you his knew gut. what they were doing? Yeah, you saw him working and he was like... Ugh. And you heard sounds and all Ugh. Ugh. People are terrible. Like, truly. The amount of suffering, that you, the amount of depravity that you have to have in order to be willing to do that to another person or watch that being done to another person churns my stomach. I I often um, really, really fall... Like, you hear about how some people died, the Spanish Inquisition, uh, the French Revolution, and all some of those things that happened. And you're like, how how did they slide that far? Like, how did they get there right. where, where it was okay with that? People thought that was a good idea. Yeah. Like, what's the process from point A to point B that you just, you end up going, we need to do this. But is it much different than Hitler gassing and... No. You know, gassing no. and testing things on Jews. It it um, makes me think of the sermon that we heard, because we're really good people, you guys, and even though we were camping over the weekend, we, and we're up super late on Saturday, we got up early and drove an hour and a half so that we could be at a church that was not our own, but still a church that we love uh, for Sunday morning worship. And the sermon was on Revelation and armies of horsemen. I can't remember. Was it Revelation 14? Now I can't remember the exact passage. But he was saying that people either look at war 
as proof that there is no God. Because how could a good God who has any power over anything let the horrible atrocities of war happen? Or it causes them to look at their own mortality and turn to God. And he read a number of quotes from people before and after, for example, World War II, where they thought that human achievement and scientific ex- advancement and humanism were had taken humanity so far that we were, this is in like the 1930s, that we would never have war again and that people are just going to keep getting better and better. And then eight years later, they're just completely psychologically crushed because of how incredibly evil and how incredibly devastating this world war was on so many innocent people. And, and he said, you know, the, what if instead of, and I've heard this argument before, Miroslav Wolf actually makes this argument in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, about the uh, Baltic Wars. Instead of saying, concluding that there, this is an argument against God, you say hell is an argument, or war is an argument for hell. This is a taste of hell on earth, and it is also an apologetic for why there there must be a place of eternal suffering and punishment for people who do not face the consequences of their sin here in this life. And uh, Wolf goes on to say that the existence of hell is the reason that he can encourage people to forgive what otherwise feel like unforgivable sins. You know, the murder of your entire family. How do you forgive that? You either say Christ's death, Christ suffered on that person's behalf and that covers them, or they will suffer eternally far worse than the suffering that they have inflicted on me and my loved ones here on earth. And so you turn that, how could a good God let this happen, to a good God will see justice through, even if it's not on our timeline. Yeah. Yeah. I'll include, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'll include links to both that sermon, uh, if I can find it, and uh, Miroslav Wolf's Exclusion and Embrace. Um, that said, Molly, we are... We are We're at about an hour. And we need to go to bed. Well, I'm just going to toss out here the, after that sermon, I came across this meme that cracked me up, which is the gas prices, current gas prices are probably the reason armies in the book of Revelation are riding horses. <laughs> <laughs> which we were feeling driving a gas guzzling oh diesel gosh. vehicle across the state. I'm happy with its mileage, but... What is wrong with diesel? Diesel used to be like a buck and a half or two bucks cheaper than gas. It was amazing how much cheaper it was. Anywho, yeah, let's get ready for bed. Sorry, guys. Are yawns contagious? Don't yawn yawn on the radio or on the podcast. But but now it's a science experiment. Is it contagious on the podcast? Who yawned? Hit us up and let (laughs) us know who who yawned. The best way to hit us up. That's a great segue. Um, The best way to hit us up is on our Telegram group. We have a private Telegram uh, group that's full of uh, other listeners, just like you, and lots of great conversations around the show, and then a lot of great conversations not around the show. 
Um, it's a really neat community of folks that are that are. Uh, it's just it's really a joy to be a part of that group. You can join that group by clicking the link in the show notes. Um, it's a private link, so it's the only way you can find it. You can't just jump on Telegram and search for it. So come on by, check it out, see if it's something you want to be a part of, see if it's not. Um, and uh, you can also go to our website, www.toobusytoflush or tb2f.com. And uh, if you sneak up onto that website, you can scroll all the way down and send us a postcard. Um, it's another great way to get a hold of us. That said, um, we are a weekly podcast, and um, we hope to be here next week. Uh, I don't have... Same place, hopefully not the same time. Right, in our little studio in the basement. That will, Lord willing, eventually be a fallout bunker with Molly's foodstuffs. That I've only preserved Monday through Saturday. <laughs> have you? Do you have a plan for what you're going to do with this time after you're done preserving? Uh, yeah, scroll Instagram. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, probably tackle the problem areas of the house that I uh, have neglected since. Have neglected all summer because I've been working outside so much. I don't know. Maybe I'll just go sip tea with the chickens, watch the sun go down, and hang out with the chickens. That would be delightful. They they are delightful. I went out there this evening with the taco that Faith didn't finish from Mm. dinner. They were on the far side of the pen area. <laughs> Three yellow ones were out there together. And they, they when they really think that you have something good for them, they pitch forward and they just run, like, like legs back, heads forward. They just came probably 30 yards at a full-out run. And I was like, oh, you're going to be so disappointed. There's half a taco for all 19 of you guys to share. <laughs> They crack me up though. You guys, I'm not only a crazy cat lady, I am a crazy chicken lady. Yep, it happens. Alright guys, uh, that's all we got for this week, so we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>